Hello and welcome to The Lab. This is 538's NBA podcast for the week of January 24th, 2017. My name is Neil Payne. I write about sports for 538. I'll be your host today. And as always, I'm joined by my co-podcasters. First of all, we've got 538 sports writer Chris Herring, who is our resident Ironman. He never misses a podcast, no matter the circumstances. Right now, he is coming to us from what airport again, Chris? I'm, I'm at Midway trying to get to Dallas for a game tonight, but I missed a flight, so... Bear with me if it, if you hear stuff in the background. <laughs> yeah, but you know we appreciate your your commitment to the pod uh, and and trying to get there before a shoot around, uh, like you mentioned uh, before a game. And obviously in studio, fellow five thirty eight sports writer Kyle Wagner is here. Hey, Kyle. Not nearly as committed. I was miss this place for the dentist. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, um, and we should just we should note that Kyle, in addition to uh, the the nightmare that is going to the dentist, uh, Kyle a little sad about uh, his beloved Minnesota no, we're not Vikings. Talking, we're not talking about. We're not. So talking I was going to say, this. I'm going to cheer you no, up no, with no, some no, basketball doing, talk. Okay, yeah, okay, we're going to we're okay. going to do a little basketball talk. We're not going to talk at all about football. So uh, on today's show, we're going to chat about the end of the Jason Kidd era in Milwaukee, the good and the bad, and mainly where do the Bucks go from here. We'll also bring you a small sample on LeBron James and are the Cavs somehow better off without him? But first, let's hit one of this week's many headlines and talk about the discontent brewing in some of the league's most talented locker rooms. It's been a busy week for off-court drama in the NBA, to say the least. On top of Jason Kidd's firing and the Hornets' plans to trade Kimball Walker that broke last week, ESPN's Adrian Wojnarowski and Michael C. Wright reported on Monday that all might not be going smoothly with what we usually consider to be the league's model franchise, that's the San Antonio Spurs. According to Wright and Woj's story, there's a growing disconnect between the Spurs and their best player, Kawhi Leonard, who's missed most of the season with an injured right quad, and the rift reportedly centers around how the injury is being treated, how he's being rehabbed, and when he can even return to the court. We just say Leonard has played nine games this year, but he's back to being out indefinitely, which we discussed briefly on the pod last week. We should also note that the Spurs disputed the story and denied the report of friction between Leonard and the team, but it does seem like this is sort of a, a rare moment of uh, a crack in the armor publicly for a team that prides itself on professionalism and turning inward to overcome adversity. You also had that story about LaMarcus Aldridge demanding a trade over the summer. Uh, so guys, what, what is going on with San Antonio? Uh, is is Are these just two sort of isolated stories that sort of are, are one-offs and, and we shouldn't read too much into it? Or is there something going on in San Antonio which, again, had been the bastion of, of not having drama uh, for, for many, many, many years? I don't think Chris or I like are really sourced up down in San Antonio, which is really how this story in particular is going to move forward. But I mean, it is just kind of a trip that of all the things that could have like been the thing that throws the wrench into, into San Antonio could have been like all their free agents that came and went. It could have been, uh, LaMarcus Aldridge who had like the thing last year. It's Kawhi Leonard. It's Kawhi Leonard. It's just like, maybe it's just like, you know, the Jedi mind tricks don't work on the protocol droid, but like, I don't know. This is it's wild that it's quiet. I I mean I I look at it two ways. One one thing is that this offense for years we watched an offense operate where it was pretty equal opportunity even though you had arguably the best power forward of all time down there and Tim Duncan. Um he moved the ball really well. The offense moved the ball really well and it still does. But you do kind of have competing factions here. I think LaMarcus Aldridge, even before he went to San Antonio, was kind of regarded as this guy that, that liked 
attention, um, you know, and was kind of, you, you read the reports after the fact, which I'm always a little skeptical of just because you wonder if, if reporters kind of have favorites or play favorites um, and, you know, which camps they're kind of aligned with and some of their stories that they write that are sourced. But depending on who you read and what you read about in Portland, LaMarcus Aldridge uh, was kind of jealous and disappointed with the fact that it seemed like the Blazers organization was starting to kind of move more behind Damian Lillard and that, you know, it was kind of like there's not enough room for the both of us sort of narrative that was building there. And so the fact that Aldridge had asked out of San Antonio, that was one story and it kind of speaks to this idea that the Spurs haven't really had to deal with guys that do as much by themselves on offense as Kawhi and now LaMarcus Aldridge have done. Um, but aside from that, I mean, the, the Kawhi thing is interesting but it, it is also very strange in the sense that, I mean, Pop has very candidly said he's never seen an injury like this. He actually had this injury before that the really bad ankle tweak that he had against the Warriors in the playoffs. And so this is something that has been nagging him for a while. And reading, you know, some of Woj's report, he basically said that this is something where the Spurs have cleared him, but almost a little bit like that Derrick Rose issue after the ACL with the Bulls that he hasn't felt completely comfortable playing on it. And so um, it, it's definitely something to watch. It's scary given how young Kawhi is. I think I read somewhere he's only eight months older than um, than Kyrie Irving is. And so it's something to watch. I mean, this is their franchise player. He's one of the five, six, seven best players in the league. And um, they obviously can win without him. But I, I think that that buck stops at the playoffs if, if he's not going to be there for the whole season. Yeah, and it's interesting to me that uh, they even mentioned this in the Woj story is that uh, this is a tendon injury that's similar to the one that Tony Parker had, and they brought in actually a specialist to kind of deal with it. And it seems like it's actually worked really well, but then you try maybe a similar thing with Kawhi, and it hasn't really worked. And maybe this just speaks to the frustration that, that all parties are, are experiencing right now, because obviously Leonard wants to get out on the court. Spurs want him out on the court, but they also don't want him to uh, be exposed to some kind of long-term injury risk at the same time. I do think it's not quite right to say that the Spurs have never had a guy doing it all as one of their very best players, even if it wasn't Tim Duncan. Because Manu Ginobili, for a lot of years, was running that offense while like Parker wasn't out there. He was running it even more so than Parker in crunch time, and he was he was scoring, he was driving, he was shooting, uh, doing a lot of things that Kawhi does now. And he was missing 20, 30, sometimes 40, 50 games a year. Uh, so like, it's not like the Popovich regime doesn't have experience dealing with these things. And even this year, so like, everyone has noticed Kyle Anderson just, you know, being real slow out there, being still effective, uh, getting the hell blocked out of him by LeBron last night. Um, but like, they have other guys bubbling up. So they lost Dwayne Dedman and, uh, Jonathan Simmons to free agency this year. Uh, but Brian Forbes and Davis Bertrands and like, obviously DeJounte Murray's, uh, from last season into this season. Like, they have guys still coming in, like, the way kind of the Spurs always have. So, like Chris said, it's not that they can't, you know, weather Kawhi being out of there, like, during the regular season, but, but yeah, like, when it gets to the playoffs, like, even though, like, Marcus has been holding them down, like, just being really good, moving the ball better than he has in the past. Um, like, yeah, they still would need Kawhi back. Yeah, and one of the things that might be lost in sort of this rare drama for the Spurs is Papa's done an amazing job coaching this team this year. They're 31 and 18 right now without a guy who was on the short list of, of MVP candidates a year ago. Uh, they're also on track for their 19th consecutive season of 50 or more wins, which is just mind boggling to think about. They, they haven't missed a season of 50 or more wins since the 90s. That's insane. 
Okay, so let's pivot from a team that is not at all used to off-court drama to a team that seems to have it all the time, feed off of it, but might be getting consumed by it right now. And that's the Cleveland Cavaliers. Always a great source of drama. The Cavs lost for the 11th time in their last 15 games on Tuesday night against, of all teams, the San Antonio Spurs. It was the same day that Adrian Wojnarowski again reported that the team had a, quote, fiery team meeting during which several players challenged the legitimacy of Kevin Love illness that led him to leave Saturday's loss to the Oklahoma City Thunder and miss Sunday's practice. So, guys, this is sort of typical mid-season disarray for the Cavs. They seem to always have a moment like this in the season where the the team seems on the verge of just total crisis. Uh, but this seems worse than usual, right? Uh, and, and in concert with the fact that they seem to be playing worse, especially on defense, than they have uh, during the typical crises of years past. I mean, I would say yes and no. I mean, so during that uh 2015-16 season where they ended up, you know, going on and beating the Warriors, uh the back chatter on that was that, like, LeBron and Kevin Love couldn't even be in the same room together, that they really just weren't on speaking terms. And so this seems bad, but, like, it was bad. It's been bad. And just, um, I mean, while we're on the topic of, like, Kevin Love and, like, LeBron, and like, presumably it's LeBron and whomever, LeBron took a two-week vacation, basically, <laughs> his first year back uh when he was just, like, he just – Clearly wasn't right and he just wasn't playing right, but like, it's not like this team, this team of all teams isn't one that like values rest and values just taking care of your body or whatever. So if they are challenging Kevin Love on this thing and like it sounds, you know, obviously they are, um, it sounds like it's not like on, uh, oh hey man, like I don't think that illness was like close enough. It's like, it sounds like it goes a little deeper, but like I don't know, like, that's just like reading from afar. I mean, if anybody is getting heat in these meetings, it needs to be Isaiah Thomas, first of all. Um, I totally get he missed a ton of time. I totally get he's actually been through a ton of personal stuff, which I kind of feel like if anything with regards to Boston and the way they want to honor him with uh, a tribute that I, I respect him for that more than anything. Um, in, in terms of how he handled himself and carried himself through all that through a tough time personally. Um, but he has been garbage since they got him back. And, and I think part of it is that he's trying to adjust to a totally new role where he's the guy that touches the ball most and shoots the ball most in an offense and the sorts of plays they run and, and what have you and, and who his pick and roll partner is where, you know, Kyle's written about how great Al Horford is and it's a, a night and day difference to some extent, uh, running those screens with someone like Kevin Love who's trying to get open a different way. Um, or even with Tristan Thompson who's rolling instead of popping. And so, um, he's adjusting to all that. LeBron has the ball a ton, you know, half the time. And that offense is compared to Isaiah Thomas. Um, and it's a team that is already playing so poorly and trying to integrate so many new parts. I saw Mount Shumpert back in the game the other day against the Spurs. Um, you have him. You've got Derek Rose you're trying to reincorporate for minutes at a time. There's Thomas. Tristan hasn't been healthy the whole season. Um, and, and so, and you're trying to get used to playing with LeBron. So there are a lot of different things at play. Uh, Tyron Lue has no clue what he's doing with the lineups or what he wants to do. J.R. Smith looks as bad as I've ever seen him look and really doesn't look like an NBA player right now. Can't knock down shots. Everybody should be pointing a finger at everybody, but really it, to me, it raises the question of like how on earth, even if they get on the same page as far as, you know, relationships and everything, how are they supposed to guard Golden State if they can get to the finals? I'm not convinced they can get there with the way they look. Now, I made that argument last year, too, that I wasn't sure whether they could realistically get there with the way they were playing defensively. They made us all look stupid. Um, but I think we also saw a night and day difference even in that series against the Celtics where Isaiah Thomas 
uh, when he got hurt, all of a sudden the Celtics could match up with the Cavs defensively. And so Isaiah's defense is just really it's kind of the cherry on top of a horrible, horrible defense anyway. And they're just, they've got to figure out how to defend with them on the floor. But I don't know that they have enough good, good enough, uh, individual defenders to be able to do that for long stretches, especially not when it's Isaiah and Kevin Love and J.R. Smith, who all look horrible when they're playing together as a trio. Yeah, the Cavs rank 30th, obviously, out of 30 teams in the NBA in defensive efficiency this year. That's even worse than they were last year. They were 21st. Uh, only one team in NBA history, that's the 2001 Lakers, won the title after finishing any worse than even 12th in defensive rating. That L.A. team was 21st in defensive efficiency. So we're talking about a team that has the type of defense that you would not even imagine to belong to a team that could contend for the NBA championship at this point. And he, on top of that defense, his offense has just been, has just not been there at all. I mean, so. Isaiah, you mean? Yeah. 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 So like Chris mentioned play type and like we've talked about the handoff stuff a little bit in the past, but last season, uh, he got about, uh, about 10, maybe a little more than 10, uh, handoff receptions per game where, where he would take the ball, like get the handoff and just like get himself open. Like it's easier to get him open on that than it is on like a pick and roll or whatever. Um, this season, uh, in the eight games or so he's been back, they've had a little more than three handoffs go to him in those plays. And last season he was, uh, converting on 110 points per 100 possessions. This season that's down to 81. And you look at them, and it's just he can't turn the corner. But it's also the the Cavs aren't really doing him any favors with the the actions that they're running for the rest of the team off that. It's kind of like the LeBron offense, but with a handoff for Isaiah, which is not at all what's going on in in, uh, in Boston when that same action's happening and Al Horford's handing it off, and like there's back cuts happening. No, no, no. Like the shooters are just standing around. Like LeBron's standing like 15 feet in on the other side of the court. His guy's just totally on Isaiah. Like it's not remotely the same. But like also like there was this one handoff like last night we were watching the game and he uh Isaiah took a handoff from Kevin Love uh goes to turn the middle on LaMarcus Aldridge and LaMarcus is you know playing hard defense but he's LaMarcus Aldridge and you're Isaiah Thomas and he can't even get to the free throw line like he can't get past the three point line to the free throw line to make a decision from there and it's just like so yeah it's like the timing's not there like the quicks qu- aren't quite back yet but like it's just everything like it's he he can't turn the corner the gaps aren't helping him and it's like this core of his game that like helped him to this MVP type season last season just isn't there. So even if there was going to be a thing to offset like that really not great defense, it's it's just not there, at least not yet. And of course, the Cavs, you know, they do have that history of just looking completely toast during the regular season and then flipping the switch in the playoffs. And they've almost like painted themselves into this corner where they're immune to analysis, both for good and for bad. It's difficult because they have this history of, you know, taking the regular season off or, or going through these really terrible stretches, but, but having this outward appearance of, don't worry guys, we'll turn it around. We can flip the switch anytime we want to. There is something to be said for using the regular season and data generated during the regular season to sort of evaluate yourself and and uh, tune yourself up and figure out what's right and what's wrong. And if you don't put good data out there to actually analyze, you, if you make yourself immune to analysis in that way, 
all we're really going on is faith based on what you've done in the past and not necessarily, you know, we have to almost trust that, oh, well, they'll flip the switch again instead of looking at the demonstrable evidence that they've put forward that they're not the same team that, that can flip it on in the playoffs. But I was wondering what you guys thought about that, this idea of is it, do you ever get to the point where even you can't tell uh, whether you're good or not if you don't take uh, the regular season seriously enough and sort of go through these sort of just outright bad stretches but always maintain that you can flip it around when the time comes the best way i could answer that um (laughs) my girlfriend asked me the other day she said chris if if you study these numbers so well to where you feel like you're able to pretty confidently say what's going to happen based on what's happened before why don't you bet money on these games like you understand the game better than most people you talk to people with the teams and i was like i don't trust things enough i don't even trust myself enough when it comes to this i was kind of down on the idea of the Cavs last year because for the first time in a long time i think they actually had had a negative net rating at the time that i wrote about them in the second half which had never happened uh during the lebron era either in miami or with cleveland and you know lo and behold they come out and basically right up until isaiah got hurt they hadn't lost a single game in the playoffs and so you can't I mean, if anybody's immune to, you know, the kind of regular season stuff, I think we've seen that LeBron teams are, are really like that. Um, you know, I, I think also that their offense can kind of hit a new level uh, when they get to the playoffs. But the difference is that they had the same two players for those first three years of this run. Now, the, the, the same top two players. Now that it's LeBron and someone else, I don't even really know. I guess Kevin Love is their their next best player, and you know Isaiah. You're hoping can become your second or third best player. It's it's really hard to say. Uh, I don't know that anyone else other than Boston maybe has clearly established himself as really the the front runner to come knock them off. Um, I feel like people would be more behind them if Gordon Hayward were healthy and if they were doing this with Gordon Hayward. But really, there's not anybody that just looks like totally terrifying in the east and so i think there's reason to think that the cats can still do it but just looking at the way they're playing this stretch is as bad as anyone they've ever had um and that lebron has ever had i mean we're going to get to it in a small sample but it's it does feel different um but i guess maybe every time it feels different when they play this poorly so i don't have quite have an answer of like if they think that they like just can't evaluate themselves but if there's one team that needs to be able to it's this team because they're stocked with a bunch of 30-year-olds, a bunch of guys in their mid to late 20s who either have plateaued or like seem to have plateaued. Like Tristan Thompson, like valuable player, worth the contract that they signed him to because like he was crucial to winning that championship. But he's kind of the same player that now that he was in 2015. Like you kind of know what you're getting from him and like is that enough from that slot? But up and down the roster, you have Jared Smith who's uh, having another down season shooting. Like this is now a trend that Jr. is. Uh, goes through prolonged stretches of like not really making shots. Is that something that is just a fi- function of him being in his 30s? Like he's 32 now, I think. Or is it just that like it's a regular season thing? It's hard to tell on this team. So do you have to move him, replace his role? Or can you just go into the playoffs and just assume he's going to get there? And if you don't have a reliable way to project these things, that makes it really hard to run a team. <laughs> Okay, so let's leave things there for uh, the Cavs, and we're going to move on to even more team drama in a second. But first, let's hear a word from our sponsor. Buying tickets to sports and concerts can be complicated and confusing, but there is a better way to buy. With SeatGeek. 
SeatGeek is the smartest, easiest way to get tickets to every type of live event. Whether you're searching for a last-minute deal, planning a night out, or just need to find the perfect gift, SeatGeek helps you find the best seats at the best prices, fully guaranteed. There's nothing quite like seeing your favorite team or musician in person, and SeatGeek will get you closer to the action for a great value. It's designed to make your ticket experience easier than ever, saving you time and money by searching multiple ticket sites to compare prices and find amazing deals. And to get you the best bang for your buck, SeatGeek grades every ticket based on value to help you immediately identify the best seats that fit your budget. Plus, every purchase is fully guaranteed so you can shop for tickets on SeatGeek with confidence. Make SeatGeek your go-to app for finding the best deals on every type of ticket, from sports and concerts to comedy and theater. And best of all, listeners to The Lab get $20 off their first SeatGeek purchase. Just download the SeatGeek app and enter the promo code LAB, L-A-B, today. That's promo code LAB for $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. The Milwaukee Bucks fired head coach Jason Kidd on Monday after a disappointing 23-22 and start to the season for a team that many expected to make a leap into the upper echelon of the Eastern Conference. Kidd had led Milwaukee to a great turnaround in his first season. They went from 15 wins to 41, and they made the playoffs. But ultimately, he finished his Bucks tenure with a losing record. He went 139 and 152 over four seasons. So, guys, first of all, why did the Bucks not make that expected progress this season? And how much of the blame for that can be traced back to Jason Kidd's coaching? Well, I when I look at what went wrong there, I mean, I think they weren't completely sure exactly how to build the team around Giannis. Uh, they were starting to kind of take steps in a certain direction, right or wrong. They obviously went out and traded uh, for Eric Bledsoe. Uh, some of it was health. You know, they, Jabari Parker was kind of the guy that they expected to be the second scorer with this team. And Chris Middleton got hurt before the beginning of last season. They brought Jabari Parker back from an ACL tear um, and, and kind of missed the boat on both of having both of those two sidekicks together at the same time. And so that was a little rough on them. They never really had a totally, totally healthy team. Um, but I think the biggest thing, and I'm sure Kyle will agree with a lot of this too, is that defensively they built this team differently. They built this team around the idea of length. Um, and athleticism probably more than any team in the league uh, were really building and trending in that direction. But they played a really aggressive brand of defense, probably overly aggressive, that worked for maybe the first season they did it where they were a top 10 defense, but then continued to regress every season after that point. And, you know, just wasn't – if you can't really guard a team reliably – uh, from the three-point line because of the way you gamble. Teams can kind of see what you're doing and uh, uh, anticipate what you're going to do. And they really didn't live up to the kind of promise that they had on defense, in part because of the way Jason Kidd had them playing defense. Yeah, Kyle, you've been digging on this for a while about the defensive scheme that Kidd installed in Milwaukee uh, as coach. What was that all about? Okay, so like Chris said, they play this blitzing brand of defense where they're just like always swarming and they're just always rotating on the backside with on the premise that they are athletic enough, they're long enough that they can force bad passes, that if they force bad passes, they will force bad shots. And they've got a bunch of guys who really are long and athletic with that in mind, right? Right, they've got Giannis, they've got uh, Thon McKeer, they've got uh, Chris Middleton, they've got Tony Snell who can force guys to to, to pull the catch and shoot down, to, to reset, to... Like try, trying to have to you know get around them whatever. Um, except the thing is, if you're trying to force the shooter to put the ball on the ground and you know take it to the hole, um, kind of be careful what you wish for. <laughs> so like all of their guys, so Giannis, uh, Middleton, and McKeer, 
um, and then Tony Snell right behind them are among the worst in the league at what's called blow-by percentage. Uh, so Second Spectrum, which has the player tracking cameras in the in the arenas, uh, can tell when a guy gets blown by, when when his guy uh, just gets around him as a defender. And uh, the Bucks guys are good defenders. They they should not be at the bottom of the league in this thing. So if you look at the leaders or like the guys at the bottom of this list, it's guys who like should not be next to Giannis Antetokounmpo. Like it is Blake Griffin and Maurice Spates and Carmelo Anthony and Chrissy Bontexter, <laughs> uh, Pau Gasol uh, by percentage, not by like number, by percentage of like the drives that come out Pau Gasol. A f- uh, fewer guys get around him by far than get around Giannis Antetokounmpo. Like that, that, that should no not sense. be. And then you you go, okay, so maybe the cameras aren't picking up quite right. So you go in and you look, look at the film. Um, so as I'm watching these things, it's like, oh, yeah, so Giannis is, like, chasing guys all around. He has to close out, like, constantly. Um, but, he, like, it's also obvious that he's a good defender. So, like, a guy will get around him. Giannis will literally do a spin move around a guy trying to set, a, like, a back screen on him and, like, just get back, contest the play anyway. But it's like, no, 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 It like, it should not be that complex. Like, Tony Snell, who's like a little bit above these guys, um, but still, still his numbers aren't don't look great. You look at the film, and he's just constantly chasing guys all around the court. On top of all this, they have Jabari Parker coming back, and like uh, Chris um, could tell you, like we've looked at this in the past, and Jabari's not going to help this thing. Like Jabari, also like not a great defender, but like is being asked to do a lot in this system. I, I mean, I think the the one thing I would say for context sake is that the. Bucks probably felt like, and, and Jason Kidd probably felt like at one point that they had to try to do this. Um, they've gone from a, being a team that couldn't really score, um, especially in the playoffs. They were really rough. It's really hard watching them in the playoffs. That Toronto Bucks series was pretty ugly at times last year. Um, but this was a team that really couldn't score, and so chasing turnover percentage and trying to chase the idea of turnovers defensively was a way of helping them try to not only depress one team scoring but to but to add to their own ability to score um but they've progressed a lot since then in terms of obviously Giannis being the 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 key example of that but Middleton has grown as a player um you know they got Brogdon in in there they've added shooters Snell is there and so they've got more offense than they had in the past and the team has gotten better and I think that's the biggest question that you really had with Jason Kidd that I've kind of referred to before um you have someone that can kind of bring more out of your star player individually and maybe other guys on the roster individually and so as a result of it the team improves as it comes of age a little bit but is the person that kind of helps these guys grow up a little bit is that the same person that you want to try to take you from point b to point c once you've gotten to the middle ground and i think that that was kind of the question they came to that defense might have worked as they were trying to get to score more but it wasn't necessarily the answer to try to build them into a contender or a championship team and i think that'll be the responsibility now for really what should be the most sexy job opening the summer uh that that's a really talented roster that they have right now and it sounds like they're still looking to maybe add to it as the trade deadline comes up and on top of that like the move to to like get more scoring in there like hasn't worked out as well as you maybe would have hoped so eric bledsoe who came in and like everyone hoped like oh that's going to unlock the the milwaukee you know transition game well sure that's worked out a little bit but like also bledsoe has taken a lot of possessions in the half court away from brogdon who's been very very efficient this year so on pick and roll brogdon is generating just as this just as the ball handler doesn't matter who he's playing with whether it's Giannis or thon or john henson or whomever uh 103 points per 100 possessions uh bledsoe's down at 89 
And so, like, Brogdon was a guy who was, like, having a lot of success on that team before Bledsoe got there early in the season. And if they were looking for offense, they had an efficient uh just kind of half-court set going there. And, like, they've just, as happens often when you add a guy in the middle of the season, they've just kind of thrown a wrench in that. Now, to Chris's point about this being a really attractive job, though, it does seem like Giannis is, uh, as far as superstars go, easier to build a great team around than maybe your average superstar, just because this is something I think you and I have talked about, Kyle, this idea of getting as much skill on the court, as many different things to do well on the court at the same time. Uh, and Giannis is maybe the most versatile guy in the game. He kind of checks off so many boxes just by himself that it's easier to find role players to compliment him than it would be for someone who, you know, maybe is a great scorer but doesn't do that many other things. And I think we, it's easy to envision him leading a team that has role players that fill in the gaps as opposed to maybe another superstar. So this is actually something that like, I think we're going to get to in next segment too of guys who do everything. Um, like obviously they like, they are, self-evidently valuable right like if a guy can like rebound and pass and handle the ball and just like create his own shots and get shots for others like yes that's that's inherently valuable but the question has been uh over the past couple seasons as this has become more and more a thing of guys just doing it all and we've talked about it a bit on this show where uh it it, it is a trend it seems to be a trend where um especially perimeter players are being asked to and allowed to do everything Russell Westbrook, uh, James Harden, LeBron James more than ever, Giannis in this case, uh, or Blake Griffin like out in L.A., like a little further down the court. And that will lead you in a direction of team building where you are building around your star's skill set. You're saying, okay, that allows us to be more specialized, to get guys like Kyle Korver, to get guys who can do a specific thing that is needed that like is outside the, the, um, the skill set of our star – and when that happens to an extreme, uh, when a guy is doing just everything, everything, and the, the specialization is so extreme at, at the periphery, uh, so let's take last season's Oklahoma City Thunder. Russ was doing literally everything for that team. He left the court, and they would lose by 500 points in the three minutes he was out in the playoffs, and that's the margin that they would lose by. And so, like, yes, it's it's easy. Like, it's kind of the question that we were talking about with the defense. As a small ball thing of going from a bad team to a good team, a good team to a very good team, uh, yeah, that's very useful. Um, but if you need to be like all the way there and just have a team that just functions no matter who's on the court, um, like I can actually see that being like kind of a hindrance for as far as like how do you get a team that just functions within itself? Yeah, and I, I think Kyle's point, that's why Houston becomes so interesting all of a sudden and why uh, the people that raised questions about the Rockets in the preseason about whether you could blend those two talents between Harden and Chris Paul, it, it looks a little silly in hindsight now just because of the fact that having two ball-dominant guys, if they can play together, um, it might be worth it if only because of the fact that when they play apart from each other that you've still got production on the court no matter what. And why Cleveland uh, was able to beat Golden State that one year is because at least Kyrie was there to fill in some of LeBron's scoring when he wasn't. He obviously wasn't going to replace LeBron's defense, but um, it, it's really hard to build a team around one star uh, or one superstar because the team just craters too badly in a playoffs if you don't have anybody else to step up. And I think that's part of what the the Bucks were missing with not having Parker there this season for sure. So I, I, the next thing for for the Bucks too, um, Giannis. It'll be interesting to see how he took the kid firing. It, it seemed like he reached out to kid right away when he figured out what happened. 
um, which, you know, to some extent seems a little unusual about the way that happened, where he basically offered to kind of go to bat for Kid and wanted him to, to give him a signal as to what Kid wanted him to say to management. So it's, it, it's a super interesting situation. It's a very interesting team, a young team still. But, um, but it's a little bit of a mess there in Milwaukee, but a truly interesting roster to try to build around going forward. Okay, so uh, let's leave things there with Milwaukee, uh, and we'll keep an eye on how they try to move on from Jason Kidd uh, and build things around Giannis going forward. For now, let's close out the episode with a segment we like to call Small Sample. This is the time of the show where we discuss an emerging trend that doesn't have a lot of data behind it yet, but might end up being meaningful before season's end. And for this week's small sample, we're going to circle back to the Cavs, as promised, and bring a statistic on LeBron James. This is courtesy of StatMuse, who notes that for the first time in his career, LeBron's team is playing better with him off the court than with him on the court. According to StatMuse's data, the Cavs have a minus 1.1 net rating, and that's point differential per 100 possessions with LeBron, and a plus 3.7 net rating without him. Guys, clearly this means Cleveland should bench LeBron, right? But seriously, why is this happening? Uh, why is this showing up in this of all seasons in which we've discussed before LeBron is having one of the best seasons in his career, a career that could be described as the best of all time? Well, I think the, the main thing here, first of all, no. Uh, I don't think any of us is going to walk away with the conclusion that LeBron um, is, is hindering this team in any way. Um, I do think that maybe they should bench him in the sense of getting him some rest if they're going to be losing like this anyway and you know rest him for the stretch run, which they'll need him for. But I, I think really the, the difference between this season and really probably every season since maybe LeBron's rookie year, um, they're getting blown out a lot. And so he's sitting a lot of minutes where it's garbage time and where the other team is probably taking its foot off the pedal, where you have guys that are really trying hard to try to – earn minutes back in the rotation between Rose. Uh, I guess Thomas doesn't quite qualify there, but uh, other guys, Shumpert, J.R. Smith, guys that have been playing poorly or not playing at all because of injury, um, that they're gaining back some of those points, you know, where a game gets out of hand and maybe they, you know, they outscore the opponent 10 to 3 in the last two minutes of the game uh, that LeBron's not playing it. And so that would make their rating look a lot better with LeBron out. Uh, I don't take that to mean anything i mean they're going to be in real trouble um if if lebron's net rating in the playoffs is negative anyway let alone if they're somehow better with him coming you know with him on the bench i don't think that will happen in the playoffs but they've got a lot to worry about right now just because they're getting into situations where the bench is having to play those garbage time minutes they, they should not be trailing teams by 30 and 40 points the way they have recently i mean i think that's that's definitely it uh on top of that is LeBron has never had Dwayne Wade as a dedicated backup point guard, um, just kind of running that second unit. Um, he's traditionally had kind of weak and poor uh, second unit point guards, um, like depending on what you think of, you know, Norris Cole or whatever else. Uh, but that does bring up the point of like, I mean, we've been, so we've been talking about um, just building a team exclusively around one player or whatever else for the past couple segments. Um, but like another thing is that this team just hasn't developed players. Like they had Kay Felder for a while. Like that didn't really work out. If CD Osman now, um, like who's like not a point guard, but like they just haven't done a good job of developing talent on this Cleveland team. So like the question is, would this have been the same case if he had stayed in Miami? And Miami, uh, now obviously surging up into the, the, the Eastern playoffs again, uh, even though all their stars are gone. And like that's a team that, um, so our, 
colleague Zach Lowe was on the podcast, I think last week, talking about how it's an open secret that just the Cavs don't really practice. That, um, that's a big reason why, like, they can't really kind of get this thing together, get this thing righted. And a lot of the, the issues that are sprung up of there being, like, really no incoming draft picks to shore up the, the, the roster, of there just being sloppiness, of there's just the defense falling off. These are things that, like, you would assume wouldn't happen down in that, that Miami system. And so it's just like, it's a fun counterfactual to be like, well, no, LeBron clearly got like what he wanted. He got the, the championship in Cleveland. He's a perennial finals team, uh, just the same. But like a lot of the, the leaks that have sprung up seem like ones that like maybe wouldn't have in Miami. Yeah. And LeBron's never even been on a team or it's been a long time since he's been on a team where he wasn't surrounded by a bunch of veterans. Uh, and some of that is, you know, that's the way you build a team that's made to go deep into the playoffs. But at the same time, to your point, Kyle, it's not very conducive to developing young players or giving chances to young players. And it's not conducive to drafting players that can make an impact also when you're always drafting at the back of the first round. All right, that'll do it for this week's show. Thanks to everyone who keeps sending us questions and comments. Uh, keep them coming at podcast at 538.com uh, just to let us know what you think of the program. The, thanks, Chris, for, for bearing with us and, and uh, podcasting from the airport. And thanks for uh, being here in studio, Kyle. Our podcast producers are, as always, Tony Chow and Katie Ferguson. Our podcast commissioner is Chad Matlin. Whatever your favorite podcasting app is, we are also there, whether it's the Listen tab of the ESPN app or on Apple Podcasts, where you can subscribe at iTunes.com slash 538. Be sure to review and rate the show. It helps others discover the program. For Chris and Kyle, I'm Neil. Thanks for listening. Talk to you next time.